last week of X8. And in around a month, movements are going to be starting back up and we'll be back in the full swing. Yeah! Yeah! It's good. I am too. And to get ready for that school year, there's been a lot of planning that's going to welcome you. Uh, right now, the staff has been working really hard on that to get them organized so that y'all will get to have a blast, but more importantly, so that we'll be able to bring new students and our returning students in with us. Yeah. So, a really, really cool thing about getting to work with Kyalpa is getting to watch the realms of the practical and the spiritual start to intertwine. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, who here has had the Lord provide for them in a miraculous way? Yeah. Absolutely. So a personal example of this is support raising. Now, hopefully everyone in here has gotten an opportunity to experience that through one of our mission trips. And if you haven't, keep an eye out for them as they come up over this next year. That's right. Last. So whether spring break or over the summer, or you did a long-term internship overseas or just here in the States, all of them are wonderful. And a part of that is you're going to support race. So it's being on staff, I get to do this full time. Yeah. What we do to support race is we call old bosses, you call your friends, you call your family, you call ex-girlfriends. Uh, chicken down on that one and send a text. But, um, typically, whenever you're doing a one-time trip, it's really easy to call the people that you like that are going to be easy to talk to in order to raise the funds that you need. Getting to do this full time, I got to make a lot of those harder calls, sometimes to the people we don't like like my ex-girlfriend. Um, so be smart with that. But joking aside, I, alongside all the members of the staff, get the opportunity to place our budgets and our well-being in the hands of the Lord and to watch Him fill it out and watch Him provide for us. Now, is it practical? Well, knowing that God is the creator of the universe and that everything belongs to Him, yeah. as a believer, yes, it is absolutely practical. Come on. But to an unbeliever, saying that a large invisible deity is paying for to be to be on a college campus making friends with students sounds really crazy and a bad idea. The wonderful thing about knowing that God is the provider is that provision will not always make sense, and yet provision will always be there when is needed. What we think we will need and what the Lord knows that we need may not always line up and be the same thing, but pay attention to what you have and what is coming, and you will understand and see. So, for me, getting to do the internship has been a blast, and it's been a journey of learning what it means to trust in the Lord. And I'll tell you, during that first semester, that summer, going into this, I felt really, really hopeless, despite this being what the Lord has asked me to do. So, to paint a picture, we were coming out of 2019, just graduated, things are good, but when you graduate, you're not allowed to work on campus anymore. So. I had to quit my job working the night shift at the University Hotel and go into the spring semester without a job while COVID is coming on top of, okay, once the summer hits, I need to quit to start support raising anyway. So as you can imagine, finding a job was not easy at all. Uh, couldn't do unemployment because since working for AG is considered a self-employed job, their uh, idea and reference for that is, well, you can go get a different job for somebody else. So it doesn't work out. But during that summer, things started off well. It came in big. I was at a third of my budget right off the bat within a couple weeks going easy. Once we hit the middle of that summer, there was about a month period that I got no's, I got rejected on calls. Uh, 
I think it was called a sheep at one point by a guy I reached out to. I was turned down over and over again or left without messages. And you can check my Facebook Messenger. There's at least 300 to 500 messages I sent that summer alone, just seeing if someone will have a conversation with me, not even if they would say yes. With that idea in mind, let's go ahead and head over to where we're going to be at in Acts. So last week, Craig led us through Acts chapters 21 through 26. He was talking about Paul before Festus, Agrippa, and Felix, giving us an idea of the time that he spent on trial. Now this was a solid good two, or a solid two years of imprisonment for Paul. And now he is being set for Rome at the start of chapter 27. Early on in his imprisonment, after he angered the Pharisees and the Sadducees, there in chapter 23, Paul spends two days in prison and he is visited by the Lord. So in verse 11, the Lord comes to Paul and says, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Two years later, where we're at now, this is finally happening. Now, Barnes has an awesome set of reference books over here covering the Bible. And he points out in these early chapters off the context clues that, fortunately, Paul is not alone. Luke, the author of Acts, is getting to travel with him. So here we are. They are now loading onto a ship at a port in Jerusalem, and it is a ship of Edramithium. It's like a cargo or a trade ship that came from the city of Edramithium. And I can just imagine all these prisoners being loaded on because they weren't the only ones. Here come these guys. They're in chains. They're raggedy. They're dirty. They've been in an actual prison in their Roman time period, which probably wasn't fun. And then here comes Paul, probably happy and a good cheer. He is finally going to Rome like the Lord said he would. With his personal guard, a centurion, the leader of the military, named Julius, and his random doctor friend. All just hopping on this cargo ship with a bunch of other prisoners that are actually seen as prisoners. And they're going to sail to Rome. So they set off to sea. We'll go ahead and put one of the maps up. So this map depicts all of the journeys that Paul took. The line you want to focus on is the green one there at the bottom. Uh, the red one there is what led him to Jerusalem this time around. Awesome stuff to go look into the history. But we'll go ahead to the next one. This is the map that we're going to focus on. So they're starting down there in Jerusalem. They've moved up here to Gethsera. That's where they're loading onto the ship. And they set sail first for Sidon. It takes about one day in order to travel up there. And once they arrive at the port, Julius, a named centurion in the Bible, allows Paul off the ship to go out and visit his friends. He's probably still under another guard, but this is a big deal. Right here it's displaying that Julius the centurion is trusting and probably likes having Paul around. It's a courteous act for him who is named so. Paul gets to go visit his friends. They come back to the ship. The time period's not given, so it might have been the same day. They then set out again. The intentions are to head along the coastline of Asia, follow it around. I don't think they originally intended to go to Crete, but we'll get to that. So they set out, they make it around Cyprus, and they land in that port of Myra. Here, they're going to swap ships. Now, the ship they swap onto is a cargo ship of Alexandria. And I don't want y'all to think that this is any little boat. We want to put up a picture of the USS Constitution. 
based off the comparisons I could find and what was recorded, the size of the cargo ship that Paul and them are on is similar to our USS Constitution. It's not a little boat by any means. All personnel, prisoner, sailor, and guard, any other that were there with them, totaled 276 people. This is on top of the cargo and everything else that it had on the boat. So these merchant ships were large. The largest of them could carry around 600 tons of cargo and were about 150 feet long. They had a particular way of sitting in the water. The way it was is very large. They had a ballast on them and the majority of the ship actually set below the waves with a very little bit poking out of the top. And that will be important later. Now the problems are going to begin as they leave from Myra headed for Sindus. A sailboat cannot go anywhere without wind. It's a necessity. And for several days, they had very little to no wind. So they're drifting along the coast and they're being able to draw near the Sindus but because the wind was a problem, they weren't actually able to make it work there. So they set out again. This time, they're pushed and sailed down onto Crete, where they make port in Fair Havens. Now, as you can see, according to this map, the stretch from Crete in order to Rome is full of open and exposed water. There's no islands in between here and there, except for Malta and Sicily, and even then, those are a far distance off from where they intend to go. Making it to Fair Havens was good. The problem was the port was not good for winter. As the seasons have progressed, they've already passed uh, more or less their Christmas holiday and are now painting the winter months. It's not safe to travel. So once they make port, uh, there's no specific reason given for why it was not good. But those present who had a voice made the decision that it would be better to try and reach Phoenix. Phoenix really isn't far off. It's not marked on this map, but it's actually on the same island of Crete. And comparing the maps, it's no further than Kessera to Sidon. So less than a day of travel, they can make it to Phoenix. Phoenix will be a good place for them to stay for the winter. Paul, at this point, has already advised against setting sail again. He's warned them that there will be a loss of life and valuables if they continue on. But what does an amateur know in comparison to professional seamen? As a reminder, for two years now, Paul has had to rely on the words, you will go to Rome. Words that he heard one night in a prison cell before he ever faced trial. How many of us at this point would have already given up on that idea already just because of how long it's taken? Now the centurion, being a smart man, listening to the professionals as one typically would do, and usually should do in this situation, they set sail. And once they had a wind for the heading they needed, they went off, and the test was to begin. Now, they were being smart, and they were trying to stay close to the shore of Crete, and there's even another small island just off the south side of it that's not pictured. But as the ship went out, a wind came over the mountains of the island, and it's named a northeaster. The closest thing I could get in an idea to this is our rotational seasons of El Nino, La Nina. You don't know a whole lot about it. It has to deal with the way the water patterns are but they affect our storms and the weather in the air as well, bringing seasonal storms with them. That's what the Northeaster is. The ship became overpowered and the only thing they could do was drift along. So they have this lifeboat that's with them. They pull it on board. Anyone that can climbs up into the mass. They loose and bring down everything that they're able to, giving them just enough to keep going, but they don't want to be drifting too far. 
you're stuck drifting, you're not having control of the ship. It's just going. Then they also used a special rope. They dropped it over the sides and basically tied the ship together to help them weather the storm. Kind of an odd idea. We haven't been able to recreate it because all of these ships were lost long ago. Now, um, this was the prep work for what was to come. Once the ship made it safely past the smaller island on the south side of Crete, they were then caught in the storm and came to a risk of sinking. Knowing this and knowing that they are drifting, if you get along the coast of Africa here, the sailors were afraid they would be run aground upon the sandbars out in the open water. So they start to throw all the car- cargo overboard in order to raise the height of the ship. There's no point in keeping it if you're not there to sell it. <laughs> a day passes in the storm, they're still caught in it, realizing they're at risk of sinking. They throw everything else they can overboard. Several days pass, and we'll reach verse 20 now. And it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days had appeared, and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope that we would be saved was taken away. These are the words of Luke. These are not traded and given much later on in time. These are the words of a man that set upon that ship. This was a trade ship, and by now, had there been another along the route, they would have seen it. But they had not. There was no more hope. Grim circumstances, dark skies, and being trapped aboard what is more or less a floating coffin. It's not a very positive outlook to hold on life. And it would be like this for 14 days. And we find out later on in this chapter that during that 14 days, they had not eaten any food either. So hungry and a fear of death, that is where Paul is at. But out of nowhere, Paul comes in high hopes and great cheer because he's going to Rome. Right? Yeah, that's right. It's even better. In verse 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life amongst you but the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not. All thou must go and be brought before Caesar. Yeah. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. Yeah. And it shall be even as it was told yeah. me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. So I've also uh, gone in with the help of Alexander McLaren. Oh, yeah. Found why did Paul's words actually change the hearts of these men? And McLaren says, At such a time, some hitherto unnoticed man of prompt decision, resource, and confidence will take the command whatever his position. Hope, as well as timidity and fear, is infectious, and one cheery voice will revive the drooping spirits of a multitude. Paul had already established his personal ascendancy in this motley company of Roman soldiers, prisoners, sailors, and disciples. Now he stands forward with calm confidence and infuses new hope into them all. What a miraculous change passes on externals when faith looks at it. The circumstances were the same as they had been for many days. The wind was howling, the waves were pounding as before, the sky was black with tempest, and no sign of help was in sight. But Paul spoke, and all was changed, and a ray of sunshine fell on the wild waters that beat on the doomed vessel. Now, back when I was support raising, 
I was not on a doomed ship at sea, not having eaten for two weeks. My diet had changed to a lot of ramen, so it wasn't fun. And Paul's circumstances are far more dire. But I spent those couple months living off the little savings that I had that was dwindling and disappearing on top of just hoping and praying that something would occur. I tell you, thanks to Jason Bell and his encouragement as being my support coach, there came one day where I felt so overwhelmed that I wanted nothing to do with work. I didn't want to call a single person. I didn't even want to think about it. And even just sitting there was stressing me out. Uh, But Jason said, do something. Just send a couple messages, do something about it. So I did. I found uh, some professors whose emails and classes that I had taken a part of, and that was the only contact that I had with them. I wrote my entire ass down, and I sent it out to them. I got two notes and one full-time supporter. She's been one of my largest supporters. She's helped me go on mission trips. She has supported other trips. Absolutely wonderful. One of my most faithful and committed people. And that was a day that I felt absolutely hopeless that the Lord provided. And as you can see, obviously, having done it for two years and now getting to stay on staff for a third, he has continued to provide everything that I did. I have yet to go hungry. I have yet to go without housing. I have yet to go without this community. That's right. Paul's response to these men was not, and I told you so. When he had originally spoken of death and loss, it was of his own perception. On a subject which others held a higher authority. And when authority is seeped in hopelessness, it will lose all ring power quickly. Yeah. It loses all meaning. And Paul, this random tent maker who was told by God he would go to Rome, stood forth and spoke in confidence. Not backed by his own perception, but backed by anointed authority. Yes. Years ago, God had told Paul, You will go to Rome. Now, not only shall you go to Rome, you shall stand before Caesar, the most powerful man in the emperor. Yes. Now, whether these men on the ship believed in Christ or not, they witnessed the hope that could only be found in him. Yes. And that reminds me of another ship that was caught in the storm. With confidence and trust, her passengers climbed aboard at the bidding of a friend who wished not to go to Rome, but simply to cross to the other side of the lake. A storm arose like the one Paul and his companions were in, and it threatened the lives of the men upon that ship. Now, oddly enough, there was still one man amongst them who was in good cheer, and he was having a nap when the storm came. Oh, come on. That's how peaceful he was. His friends, awake and in terror, had not yet realized the full glory, righteous authority, and the power of the one who slept. And they ran to him and were astonished to find him asleep. Yes. And when Christ rose and called the sea to still, his offense was taken, not in his offense was taken in the lack of faith of his friends. Mm-hmm. He said they would go to the other side. Why would he not bring them through? Yes. Why would the disciples ever believe or even consider that his request would not be fulfilled? Mm-hmm. I got to have a conversation with Eli and Mary Gotro, as well as a couple other wonderful friends. And Eli shared this thought. And I believe the author he was pulling it from was the name of James Stewart. I'm not certain, but the thought was this. The disciples were only in that terrible storm because they followed Christ there. Christ led them onto that boat, and by him, they made it through to the other side. And our walk with him is not a protection from the storm. But should you trust in him, you just may weather it. Now, we're going to go back to Paul. 
and this newfound hope of God's promise. The men faced the next challenge, the loss of the ship. They began to draw near to land by taking a sound and measuring the depth of the water to see if the Lanka's graves were lowered underneath the waves. And an island that they would soon know is Malta was drawn near to them, fairly close to their destination along the journey as well. And they're just on that south side of Sicily. So as the ship draws close, they drop anchors overboard. A few of the crew members decide to take a lifeboat off of the ship, throw it into the water, and under the guise of going to set up more anchors to help stabilize the ship, they were attempting to jump ship and run away. But Paul has already warned Julius that any who sets foot off of that ship at this point will die. So Julius cut the boat loose. Now they have been 14 days without food and water. The storm has still continued despite Paul's words of encouragement. And the only hope of escaping the boat that they all know is to be sunk under the water has been cut loose and pushed out. They must hope for day to break and to see the land. Yeah. And Paul encourages them. He tells them to eat, praise over their meal, and they have all that they can of the food that they have. They fill themselves up with whatever is left, throw it overboard. Now there is no food and little to no hope except for the words of this man. And once day broke and they saw a land, they noticed a creek that was on it and decided that's where they were going to run the ship. The front of it stuck and stayed, but the wildness of the waves was so much that it ripped the back half of the ship off, leaving the insides exposed. And here, the cruelty of man reared its ugly head, even in the face of mercy. The soldiers, possibly wanting to spare themselves the risk should any man escape whatever punishment may come, decided they wanted to execute the prisoners instead. That'd be far easier. But Julius, having developed a relationship with Paul, trusting in him, wanting to save his life, stops them. They had this relationship. They had this trust. And had it not been developed, the Lord may have not provided a way out of this moment. Those who could swim would jump, and the rest would grab the debris as it came off of the ship and would float their way into shore. All 276 survived. The natives of Malta would then come to welcome them. They would give them food, they would set up a fire for them, and they would celebrate. And then the Lord would perform miracles amongst the people, healings as well. And eventually there would come another ship of Alexandria that would take them all to Rome. Mm -hmm. And Paul would get to preach to the Jews, and some would believe, other ones still wouldn't believe in Christ. And when he told them that the gospel was meant for more than just them, it was meant for the Gentiles, yeah. they would all leave with much to consider. But Paul would establish a home there, and he would get to live and preach for the next two years. So for two plus years, Paul had only the words, you will go to Rome. And for a month on a ship, Paul may have just wondered, will I go to Rome? Yeah. Let's go back to Acts 21.13 and see what his heart was before he went into this. So before he ever even reached Jerusalem, Paul said, What mean ye to weep and break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Before these tests and trials began, Paul told the brethren and the believers that he was sold out for the Lord. Yeah. So if he ever even asked or considered the question, will I go? The simple answer to it was you will go before Caesar. Now the question I want to ask us today is will I go to Rome when the cost is beyond me? Yeah. Will you go to Rome when the cost is beyond me? Yeah. Yeah. 
For any who believe that they have not been called as Paul was, I can happily tell you that you have. In Matthew 28, 18-20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority upon heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, or behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Unlike Paul in Jerusalem, preaching the gospel on our campus may stir people up, but you won't be sent to prison. Nor is anyone else going to take an oath to kill you, as the Jews did in Jerusalem. You will be called stupid, you will be called a sheep, ignorant, a bigot. You will be belittled for your belief. People will dislike you and they will want nothing to do with you. Some will go so far as to ruin your reputation and try to smear your name. And even without an open persecution, people will do what they can to stop the name of Jesus from being preached because it stands in the way of selfish desire. Your opposers are also not limited to strangers, but to family and close friends and any whom you love. And outside the context of our community, for that time will come, and when it comes, when you step out into the workforce, into your own homes, into the far corners of this earth, will you run wholeheartedly sold out after the Lord? Or will the cost of your rights of doing so be counted too high? When you step out of our nation, and you may very well will. There is a good chance you could be killed for preaching boldly. Is it worth it? Were you not already asked? For my final points, I do want to offer encouragement. It's not all dreamy. It's not all sad. It's quite wonderful. Uh, by the help of our friend Jordan, this point was made. Our journey is just as important as the destination. Paul said he was sold out before he was ever arrested, before he ever made it to Jerusalem. The entire time that he spent in a prison, he stood before various juries, several different judges, men of high power. He walked constantly with Felix, I believe, in his own home, telling him of the gospel and the truth. Paul did not waste the journey. He didn't sit in the prison cell worried what was going to happen next. He took that time to preach the word. He took that time to use it for the reason that he was put there. He made the most of his journey, and it is well worth it. You can't weather the storm if you've never gone through the experience. And once you have, you can make it through bigger storms. Now, the second point is our God has not asked us to go where he has not already gone. Paul has given two promises to endure his trials in the storm. And the people of Rome needed to hear the gospel, and they did. This was just one story. The Bible we love so dear is story after story, promise upon promise, and centuries on centuries, all of which pointing towards the first promise that came after the fall of man, that God would redeem us. And if any of the worship team would like to come back. God has written his word upon our hearts. He has given us this guide of truth and his commandments. He has showed us the perfect man and many, many broken and lost people who only sought after him. And in doing so, they brought more along with him. Today, there is no one in this room that sits without proof that God will provide. Each and every one of you was brought here by another person who was brought by another and another. So I ask you, will you go to Rome when the cost is beyond you? And will you consider that Christ has paid in full? Now we're going to move into a time of reflection to think as the worship team plays.
And what I want you all to think through and consider is in this time that you're here on campus, we all know what's coming up. The semesters are going to start. Our time is valuable to us. Our sleep is valuable to us. Good cooked food is valuable to us, especially over the past few. Consider those things and consider the cost of what it is to give those things up from time to time. To lose sleep, to lose your time in order to be with the people that are there. That way you can do just as someone else has done for you. Show them the heart of the Lord and bring them into community. Bring them into a fellowship where they may witness the heart of God. The Lord is giving you everything you will need to do this. It will cost you some of your rights and some of your time. You'll get frustrated and angry. But the Lord has provided. Take hope, take encouragement, and trust.